So in keeping with um, where we are in the HIV epidemic, 20 years into this course, the um, two talks for this afternoon are going to have a sort of connected theme, and that is the issue of um, the maturing population of uh, people living with HIV rather than dying with AIDS 20 years ago, and some of the very complicated, um, subtle, uh, challenging uh, um, issues that we confront now in this um, population with uh, comorbidities related to not just HIV, but aging. So the first speaker is going to be Joseph Margalik. He's a uh, professor of medicine at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Um, Joe actually informed me that he went to Yale College many, many, many years ago and then uh, came to Hopkins from the NIH um, and has been there for many years as a really critically important, prominent, and now leadership position for many years in the MAC study. And um, many of you know of the MAC study, and it has been actually the longest going cohort of individuals living with HIV men. Um, but so much has been learned from that group and continues to be learned. And in this instance, um, in issues related to an aging, very, very carefully uh, characterized uh, population um, and what's being learned now regarding that as well as a broadened population beyond the MAC study. So, um, Dr. Margulik. Thanks, Jerry. So, thank you, and I'm happy and pleased to have the privilege of presenting to you today, so hopefully I'll be able to break through that postprandial torpor that uh, tends to be prevalent at this time of day. Okay, so I'm going to deal with issues of HIV and aging, which is an increasingly important issue in um, the HIV world today because of the increasing proportion of people who are going to be older as time goes on. More and more people just picking 50 is an arbitrary point. Um, you're going to have this increasing percentage, which started at a low level, and there's going to be more than half of people with HIV infection uh, projected by the CDC in a few years. So it behooves us to understand um, what aging in an HIV person um, on treatment is going to be like and what some of the processes are that uh, may affect this and what the issues are. And this is an area of act very active study in a lot of uh, different ways today. And I'm going to tell you about some of the issues. Now, there are a lot of similarities that have been recognized ever since there was HIV about similarities between HIV and aging at biological level and at the clinical level. Um, one leading to the other. There's a T lymphocyte loss and cellular immune problems, which are also seen with aging. Um, changes that happen in immune function, if you look at particular types of lymphocytes that are end-stage differentiated cells, are normally increased with aging, as well as with untreated HIV infection. And there's a pro-inflammatory or immunologic activation component that has been associated with aging in the elderly HIV-negative population including with the onset of frailty. And some of the cytokines here that I've listed are interleukin-6, tumor necrosis factor alpha, and interferon gamma, which have been studied 
in the elderly HIV negative population. And of course, these changes are in many ways more severe in untreated HIV infection, but they may still be present in treated HIV infection and are, are known to have roles in the aging process. We're going to come back to that. Um, HIV is associated clinically with weight loss, muscle loss, or sarcopenia, wasting disorders, cognitive disorders, which you're going to hear more about a little later, um, autoimmune and rheumatologic, metabolic changes, and a frailty-like syndrome that is associated with uh, disability and a poor medical prognosis. Now, in the treated world, there have been a lot of papers describing what appears to be the earlier onset of diseases associated with aging if you look in an HIV-positive population compared to an HIV-negative population. And I'm going to talk about some um, design issues in those studies and, and how I think they should be uh, interpreted with a grain of salt. So if we think of HIV as a chronic disease where age-related comorbidities are now allowed to happen, and we all know what they are, so I'm not going to go into great detail. question is, how does treated HIV infection interact with the opportunity or pathologic processes that lead to these infections? We know that the immune system declines with age. And we know that this impacts treatment of HIV infection. So, for example, replacement of lost CD4 helper T cells isn't as good in older people as it is in young people, especially naive T cells. Um, so the response to heart at a cellular level is less, and there's more dysregulation. We also know, and I'll show you an example of this in a minute, that the immune activation that's characteristic of untreated HIV infection doesn't completely go away even with virologic suppression to undetectable levels. Um, and so the question is, how does this affect onset of aging-related syndromes such as frailty? And frailty, as I mentioned, can have an immunologic component, it's believed, even in the elderly HIV-negative population. And methodologic issues are that Lots of things happen over time. It doesn't mean that HIV is causing them or contributing to them. It could be just that there's more opportunity um, as time goes on for processes to occur. And you have to ask, what are we comparing HIV-positive people on treatment to? HIV-positive people on treatment are different from the general population. You'll see a lot of papers comparing incidence of something with in an HIV-treated population with the general population, and there are exposures, comorbidities, lifestyle issues, um, drugs and medications that pertain much more to an HIV-positive population or a population that's at risk for HIV than they do to the general population. So that's why I want to show you some of the data from multi-center AIDS cohort study, which includes roughly um, half men with HIV infection, some of whom have been in the study since 1984, and half men who don't have HIV infection and have been seronegative all this time, um, but otherwise are relatively similar, although not identical because there's reasons why some men got HIV infected and not the others, and those have to do with other exposures. Now, it's important to think about what aging is. And the first thing I, I'm going to emphasize is we don't know. 
people have different ideas about this. So um, I got this uh, summary from Luigi Ferrucci, who's at the National Institute on Aging. And since we don't have good biomarkers as such for aging, we have to come up with another framework to think about it. And this framework emphasizes phenotypes. So that's a limitation right there. Changes in body composition, changes in energy production and utilization, um, changes in regulation of normal body processes, and then um, neurodegeneration, all of which are disrupted with aging, which can result in frailty, which is uh, I'm going to talk about more in a minute. Frailty is a condition that leads to disease susceptibility and decreased functional reserves, a decreased ability to recover from an insult or a stress, and it's associated with um, bad medical outcomes, including all of these aging-related um, symptoms that you see here. It was one of those things for many years where people knew it when they saw it. And so now the question was how to define it. Um, one example here of a metabolic or homeostatic disruption, which I'm going to give you as one of many possible ones, is that uh, the study was done a few years ago, and they looked at basal metabolic rate, and it was higher in people with HIV infection, even if they were suppressed, more than predicted than it was in an HIV-negative population. We don't know if they were risk factor matched um, and to what extent comorbidities were matched, but this is the difference that's seen that leads to this idea that there's metabolic and homeostatic dysregulation, which could be related to altered aging. And so you hear talk about premature aging or accelerated aging, which is an issue I'm going to come back to at the end. Um, and I'll just mention here that when they looked at factors that were associated with metabolic rate, they were different in the HIV-positive population than they were in the HIV-negative population, you know, where FFM is the fat-free mass. So this is supporting the idea that there could be systematic changes. Here's another example that has to do with immune activation. This is data from the multicenter AIDS cohort. And I've shown here four activation markers. So you'll hear about immune activation. It's important to remember that this is not a yes-no. There are many, many different immune aspects that can be activated, and many markers behave differently. So the top two here are B-cell markers, and the bottom two are serologic markers. The two early boxes represent before antiretroviral therapy. The next two are after, one year and two years. And then the last box is HIV-negative men in the max. So if you look at this marker, it's elevated compared to negative gay men and comes down after therapy. Same with this B-cell marker. But IL-6 doesn't change at all in our cohort. Still just as elevated after treatment as, be, as in before and much higher than negatives. And C-reactive protein, same thing. In fact, it may be up a little bit. So there's ongoing residual inflammation. And actually, C-reactive protein and interleukin-6, as I mentioned, are cytokines that have been associated with more manifestations of the aging process and a greater risk of frailty as people age. So this gives rise to the theory 
and lots and lots of papers saying that this or that condition, which could be related to inflammation, such as, for example, atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, are at higher risk uh, in people with HIV infection, even if it's treated. And there are ongoing studies now in our study and many others to prospectively evaluate this um, question um, where high-quality data can be obtained. Here's the incidence of diabetes mellitus um, <clears throat> defined by elevated blood sugars, uh, two or more max visits. And here the dotted line is people on therapy and virologically suppressed. Um, where nobody has it at the beginning, and the line goes down as it, people develop diabetes, and this is in the HIV-negative population, after adjustment for age and um, BMI. So, again, this is the kind of thing that leads people to postulate an accelerated aging process. It's a fourfold um, elevation in the risk here. And if you look at homeostatic mechanisms, another one of the cardinal areas where aging plays a role, it's not hard to find uh, homeostatic systems that are disrupted with HIV infection that remain disrupted even after treatment, um, even if we can't measure them at the cellular level necessarily or with specific markers, they are a disruption. You can just look at the number and composition of T cells. It doesn't come back to normal um, the way it was before HIV infection in people on antiretroviral therapy. And I just showed you about glucose metabolism and other things can be measured. And even if they do come back to normal, it's important to remember that the system can look normal, but it can be working harder or compensating in some other way in order to maintain that normality. So the issue of addressing homeostatic changes is not an easy one. You sometimes <coughs> best, <coughs> excuse me, the best way to <coughs> test that is to stress it out and see how it recovers. <coughs> So now <clears throat> I want to talk about frailty. I mentioned that it's a risk <clears throat> um, for bad medical outcomes, a, a situation of decreased reserve. So it's a state of vulnerability um, linked to aging-related declines and a predictor of many types of bad outcomes related to falls and hospitalizations. And you can think of it schematically as an accelerated process of age-related decline leading to <clears throat> disability. And the concept <clears throat> in the field now is that it is a clinical vicious circle that can be triggered by many things such as muscle loss, weight loss, undernutrition, leading to uh, chronic diseases, loss of strength and power, decreased exercise tolerance, decreased walking speed, loss of physical activity, and then going around and around so that the condition is exacerbated and just gets worse. can be triggered by many different things. And, you know, chronic diseases, congestive heart failure, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, others 
that are chronic diseases, sometimes associated with inflammation, sometimes associated with injuries. Um, and the more systems that are affected, the more the frailty process vicious cycle accelerates. Uh, and this is a nonlinear process as described by um, many studies. And here I'm citing one by Fried et al. And Fried et al. proposed a phenotype that has been used for the last 10 years to assess whether people have developed frailty or not. So it's referred to as the frailty phenotype, and it has five components, um, physical shrinking, weakness, exhaustion, slowness, and low physical activity, which are relatively easy to measure. <clears throat> and three of the five constitutes the presence of frailty by this definition. And it's been uh, validated in terms of outcomes, and the papers are cited there. So one question was, how does this relate to HIV infection? And does the same phenotype occur, and does it have the same connotation of bad future outcomes in an HIV-positive population? It's important to answer these questions because we know that these outcomes are more likely in frail, elderly, HIV-negative populations. And there's suggestions, as I've mentioned, that it could be associated with untreated HIV infection, but not everything goes away when you treat. So is there an increased risk due to HIV, or could there be a risk due to complications even of treatment? And if so, are there interventions that could be done to um, prevent or at least mitigate the effects of frailty? And other mechanisms that we find in HIV infection may also apply to the general phenomenon of aging, which is, would be, uh, in that sense, a model that could inform our studies of the aging process for everybody. So we did it. Um, longitudinal studies in the MAX, and I'll just tell you a little bit about that. It was studied and started in 1984. There have been about 7,000 men enrolled in three different enrollments. They have a wide variety of assessments and laboratory tests and answer a lot of questionnaires. And clinical outcome assessment is done continuously. So it isn't just what people report. We go out and check. We tried to approximate the frailty phenotype by using data that we already had so we could do a retrospective study. So the components of the frailty phenotype are here. And we could either measure them or get them from questionnaires except for weakness. So one thing we did was to start measuring grip strength and walking speed directly about six years ago. And otherwise, of the four remaining components, we considered people had a, what we called a frailty-related phenotype if three out of those four were, quest, were present, and the criteria are um, in your handout. For this study, we had to um, take people who were already enrolled and had answered questions actually since 1996. Um, and we could do a retrospective study looking at what happened to them over the ensuing 10, 12 years um, after that. And the final study population consisted of about 1,000 men and about 13,000 person visits. 
I'm just going to summarize the findings quickly. We found that the prevalence of this phenotype went up with age and that the duration of HIV infection was also associated with an increase. So that the prevalence in a 55-year-old man with HIV infection who had been infected less than four years was about the same as in a 65-year-old uninfected man. So this is the kind of thing that leads people to say, we've just accelerated aging by 10 years. And I, my position is we can't say that because we're, the, we're comparing groups that may differ in many other ways, and it's a snapshot based on a model. The presence of this frailty-related phenotype was very closely related to the CD4 T-cell count, and this was true actually in the pre-treatment or the post-treatment eras. The relationship was the same, where that the lower counts the incidence of the frailty-related phenotype or prevalence was substantially higher. So the amount of immune damage or the amount of immune reconstitution was important. And clinically, most importantly, people who had the frailty-related phenotype before they started antiretroviral therapy had worse outcomes than people who didn't have the frailty-related phenotype. So here the outcome is percent alive without clinically defined AIDS at the time of starting heart and people who didn't have AIDS. And the people who had the frailty-related phenotype had a higher rate of developing either AIDS or of dying than the people who didn't have it. So this is the sort of thing that you also see in um, an HIV-negative elderly population if you look at the frailty phenotype. Now, the odds ratio, all these things, um, this was a statistically significant difference in the curves. And if you did a multivariate analysis adjusting for education, ethnicity, age, nadir CD4 T cell count, and maximum viral load, the proportion of visits that had the frailty-related phenotype was still statistically significant with um, adverse outcomes, either in people who didn't have AIDS when they started heart or in people who did where the outcome was death. So this supports the idea that frailty is an important thing in people with HIV infection, as it is in people who are negative. So this is a summary of what I've said about this. Um, I think that you can review that at your leisure. Now, we started then to look at the prevalence of the frailty phenotype itself. Everything I've shown you up till now has been reported, and the references are in your binder. This is unpublished. So if we now use the full frailty phenotype, which includes the five components, and as I mentioned, we started measuring walking speed and grip strength, so we could do this. And this is the prevalence of the frailty phenotype at two study visits covering one year as a function of age and HIV zero status, negative in the blue, positive in the red. And the data show that the prevalence is similar in HIV negative and positives in people less, in men less than 50, but over 50, it's a little higher in the sort of 50 to 70 range here 
in the people who are positive than it is in the people who are negative. And these are statistically significant differences. And then it goes up in the people who are older with smaller numbers of events shown down here. So wide confidence intervals, and we really can't say too much about that. But if you look at these two groups here, 50 to 70, 50 to 60, 60 to 70, that's a statistically significant difference. And this just shows the odds ratios um, by age, where the confidence intervals overlap one at younger age and not in that 50 to 70 range. Um, whether you look at people who are all, all the HIV-positive men or just the men who had viral suppression, it doesn't matter. The results are the same. And that's not surprising because in our cohort, 80% of the men who are positive are virologically suppressed. So now the question is, why is that? Is that premature aging or is it due to other things? Well, we can look at people who ever had the frailty phenotype versus those who didn't at an early point in the study. And the people who ever had it are a little older. They're a little more likely to be HIV positive. And if they're positive, they have slightly lower CD4 counts, slightly um, higher peak RNAs, viral loads, and um, more of them have a history of AIDS, which is... I think it's down here. I can't really see. <laughs> okay, but no difference in the people who are on heart and people who are suppressed because most of them are. So they may have had a little more disease in the past. And one thing you have to remember when you see data from any HIV cohort, particularly the MAX, is that if these people have been in the study for a long time, many of them had a long untreated period before effective therapy came out, and then they were on monotherapy or fairly toxic uh, combination therapy for many years. So they're different from people who are getting infected and starting treatment now. And that's something that always has to be kept in mind. The other thing that's different, if you compare frailty in an HIV, in our HIV population with the elderly, is if you had a, um, over seven visits now, we're looking from 2006 to 2010, Half the people who had a frailty visit just had it at one visit, and they didn't have it at subsequent visits. So this is a syndrome which in HIV-positive people and men is coming and going. That's different from in the aging HIV-negative population where if once you get it, by and large, and the data that there are, which are sparse, almost everybody stays frail. Now, they're older than the HIV-positive people here, but... It suggests that maybe we're measuring something different and we can't be sure. So it's another reason to take these data with a grain of salt as they relate to the aging process. Now we can look, because our participants are well characterized, as Jerry said, at factors that are associated with having the frailty phenotype in the max. And so you see age. As you get older, it goes up significantly because the confidence intervals don't include one. And education is protective, meaning it's negatively associated. Cigarette smoking, positively associated. Hepatitis C, you might think we don't have a lot of drug use and we don't have hepatitis C, but we do. 
Um, and among the HIV positives, a history of AIDS is a big predictor. So that matters, not just HIV, but how did you have HIV? And then other factors are depressive symptoms, history of diabetes, and kidney disease. And I think I want to mention hepatitis. I did mention hepatitis. So all these things go a long way to explaining this difference that you see in the HIV negative versus the HIV positive population in that age group because they tend to be more positive in the, in the uh, HIV positive group. So right now what we're working on is does this completely explain the difference or are there other factors that we haven't accounted for or is there still some room for HIV itself to be important? But clearly a lot of the difference between the HIV positive and negative men in that middle age group where there was a difference in the prevalence of the frailty phenotype goes away once you account for these other factors. And there's another um, point which I'm going to illustrate uh, not from the Max, but from a paper that was published um, in the Annals of Internal Medicine two years ago by Shields et al. looking at cancer incidence. And one of the arguments for accelerated aging that's been made is that cancer is normally associated with much older people are being seen at a younger age and HIV positive people. What these authors did was to look at the years at risk among the HIV positive people. HIV positive people had to get infected at a certain time, which couldn't be more than you know, around 30 years ago. So they're younger than the general population. And what this slide shows is the distribution of the age of the population, where this gray background is the general population and the darker narrower peak is the population with AIDS, which has a totally different age distribution. So it's not surprising you don't see as much out at higher ages in the population that has AIDS as in the general population. And if you adjust for that, many of the incidences that are being considered to be possibly a sign of premature onset go away. Um, this slide is probably hard to see because it comes to me in the format that the journal gave it to me. But what it shows is that if you have an unadjusted um, distribution and then you do this age adjustment, you get these peaks that are on top of each other. Okay, so this one is for breast cancer. And once you adjust for the incidence being at different underlying age distribution, then the, the age incidence um, difference between HIV positives and negatives goes away. That doesn't happen um, for some cancers. Um, doesn't happen for lymphoma. It doesn't happen for anal cancer. But we have reasons to think why those may be at a higher incidence in an HIV positive population due to infectious agents that, don't, um, that aren't associated with the aging process. And I want to illustrate one more point about systematic organ disease. These are data which we just presented at the retrovirus conference a couple of weeks ago. And what was done here was to directly measure the uh, 
kidney function, the glomerular filtration rate. So these are not formulas. This is where we infused hypake, iohexol, and measured the rate at which it was excreted through the kidney, which is done almost exclusively by glomerular filtration. So, and the distributions are shown the same way as the frailty phenotype was shown, where um, you have a distribution by age, and the red is seronegative and the blue is seropositive. And the, the boxes show different percentiles of the distribution, where the widest part is the median. And essentially, and for most of these groups, the medians aren't very different by serologic status, although you see the age-related decline. And we found it in this cross-sectional sample to be about one cc per minute per year, just as you would have expected. But if you look at the lower ends of the distributions, so this would be the 2.5 percentile and this would be the um, 10 percentile, they tend to be lower at a given age and the positives compared to the negatives. So there may be something going on at the low end of the distribution, which again suggests that it's a susceptible subpopulation. And when you look at the factors related with that, well, I guess that didn't make it in, but they come out to be the same thing. History of AIDS, hepatitis C, um, possibly ethnicity that you saw before. And again, these are differences that you see between the HIV positive and negative population. So you can interpret it as aging, but there are other explanations. And we don't know enough to say it, it's definitely aging. So um, I want to conclude just to summarize by, um, and make a couple of points. We can talk about frailty, but when we're talking about frailty, which may or may not um, which at least is measurable, but the meaning is still unclear. It may be more reversible in the HIV-positive population, although we think it still has an adverse consequence. But these are things that need to happen uh, to, study, to be studied in a longitudinal uh, manner, where all the different factors that could be relating to these processes, like comorbidities and other infections, are being taken into account. And they have to have proper group comparisons, which I think is a very important point. And one should be very wary of comparisons to the general population. It's possible that frailty is more reversible in the HIV-positive population, but we, again, we have to look at co-infections and comorbidities and especially history of AIDS in trying to address this question. Otherwise, interventions are similar to what they are in any population um, with an effort also to try and get at the causes of this residual inflammation that may or may, you know, may be contributing to some of these uh, morbidities. And then the last thing I would say is that although it is very easy to hear people talking about premature or accelerated aging, my opinion is that such discussions are premature themselves, and a lot of people are being scared more than they need to be. Then I'll stop there. Thank you. I should acknowledge all my collaborators. 
Okay. Okay. So I'm going to uh, take the uh, chair's uh, prerogative and actually ask the questions after each of the two speakers <coughs> rather than uh, together because I think there is a lot of very um, important clinical and perhaps provocative information that's related to directly to patient care for both of these issues. Um, and uh, so are there any questions? Okay. So let, let me ask one while, while we're waiting. Um, and it has to do with the frailty score itself, and uh, which I know has been validated in many ways. But in hearing it, um, it seems like it's a, a yes or no for each of the five components. That is, it isn't a gradation. And many of these, these five components are actually not an all or nothing phenomena. They are actually are a, a distribution I think, in terms of severity of each of those factors. Um, and so I, I, I'm a little bit surprised that this is, um, seems so clear as a, uh, just a, a yes or no and rather more subtlety within the actual construction of the frailty diagnosis. So the yes or no is, you're right, it's a yes or no, and the defining point is... Um, based on the distribution in the population as a whole. So that makes it a little less arbitrary, but it's still, you know, you could be 1% above the threshold and 1% right. below the threshold. So it's clear that the frailty phenotype, it leaves a lot to be desired as a measurement of one's true underlying robustness and uh, non-frailty or frailty. Okay. So, but I'll, I guess I'll just leave it at that. Okay. That's the aging agenda. Any correlation between vitamin D and perhaps other vitamin therapy and frailty? People, are, there have been a lot of attempts to try and reverse frailty through nutrition, and they have, by and large, you know, had only slight success in terms of vitamin D. I mean, exercise has been helpful. Uh, vitamin D deficiency, as it's customarily defined, is so prevalent that it's hard to know where the vitamin D cutoffs ought to be. But I don't think that uh, – I'm not aware of any studies that have attempted to reverse frailty by the administration of vitamin D. They're usually trying to address uh, more directly bone issues. Okay. Thank you. We have a question at the microphone. Sorry, I didn't see you. Easy. Our patients get secondary gain from some of their comments, getting disability, uh, home health aids. I know I'm easily manipulated by my teenage son. And I'm afraid that I may be also being manipulated by the patients, and it's hard for me to decide, are they suffering from frailty, or are they just trying to use us? Uh, all you have is grip strength, and I'm not sure how we can distinguish. Well, you know, these are epidemiologic studies that are attempting to determine risk factors for the kinds of bad outcomes I discussed. There was a paper published last year where about five different definitions of frailty were looked at in the studies that reported them and, and followed these people studied to see 
how predictive having any of these phenotypes was for an individual patient. And the answer was uh, they didn't have very much predictive power. So it's not the same as disability. It's more of a predisability. And exactly how it's going and at what rate and in what percentage of people it's going to lead to disability is you know, difficult to know. So here's a question related, perhaps by the same person. Can you comment about your experience with patients trying to get Social Security at an earlier age based upon premature aging? All right, could you say it again? Can you comment upon your experience with patients trying to get Social Security no. at an earlier age based upon premature aging? <laughs> well, I, I don't have that kind of experience. Um, <laughs> so I have an easy out, I guess. But okay. I, it, 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 from what I know of people who do have that kind of experience, it is quite variable on how people use this information. I think you alluded to that, too. Right. So I have a question. So this is the MAC study, which is sort of the, the preeminent cohort study, but there are others of other populations. At Hopkins, there's the ALIVE study, and there are women cohort studies. And... Um, is information emerging from those studies that um, support or contradict some of this information since they're very, very different populations, as you yeah, point I, out? The ALIVE study had a poster at the retrovirus conference um, where they measured frailty in their cohort, which is... These are the in, injection drug users. That's an injection drug use cohort, um, which includes both men and women. and also uh, includes both HIV-positive and negative men and women. And over a, a follow-up period, which if I remember right, was four or five years, they found that having meeting the criteria for the frailty phenotype was associated with increased um, mortality in both HIV-positive and HIV-negative men and women. So that is a... Um, kind of confirmatory, what, they, what the data were not presented as to covariates and other you know, medical conditions. Is it possible epidemiologically or statistically to combine those various studies? Are they so different in terms of the information that's collected to sort of get a sense of the more general population? Yeah. It's a good question and a good suggestion. Now, the ALIVE study was actually modeled on the MACs right. in many respects, and most of the protocols are very similar, if not identical. So at least for Baltimore, it could be done. Okay. And, and we also have studies where we're looking at this in the MACs, which is men, and the women's interagency HIV study, which is women. Right. Okay, any other questions? Okay. Thank you very much. Great talk.